We have started 2024 with a special emphasis on prayer. Many of you followed the daily prayer prompts that Pastor Emily provided on social media, and some of you even came out on Thursday nights for an hour of prayer and worship. And if you missed that and we do it again, be sure and be there because there's something really beautiful about spending that time together, just worshiping and praying together. So at the start of a new year, it always seems appropriate, doesn't it, to begin with a focus on prayer. And last week, we began a new series on the Lord's Prayer. In our small group, we've been studying about prayer, and John Mark Comer, who leads the video teaching portion, says that of all the things the disciples saw Jesus do, healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching to crowds, the one thing that they asked him to teach them was how to pray. There must have been something so radically different about the way that Jesus prayed, the way that he communicated with God. The disciples saw it, and in Luke's version of this story, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Author Sky Jatani says that the Lord's Prayer is like the framing of a house. It's the theological framework for our relationship to God in prayer. I'd go so far as to say that the opening sentence in the Lord's Prayer is the foundation for that framework. It makes the whole rest of the prayer make sense. Last Sunday, in Pastor Lance's sermon, he focused on the Father heart of God. And if you haven't heard that sermon, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. The Our Father. And what that means for us as we approach God in prayer. Jesus frequently referred to God as Father. Almost always. And in that really intimate form, Abba, or Daddy. It's not just a biological term or a family hierarchical system, but this kind of dearness, this intimate caring. This approach to God gives us a picture of God's nearness and that special kind of familial intimacy. And as Pastor Lance said last week, though, sometimes we have to separate our feelings about our earthly fathers or father figures from God as our heavenly good father because even the best of our earthly fathers were perf were imperfect and at worst they could not be even called remotely good but God our heavenly father is good he is good because he cannot be anything else so the big idea from last week is that prayer is relational not transactional God is not a big vending machine in the sky where we insert our prayers and he gives us what we want, right? We've all discovered that's not true. Our prayers are not answered because we did some good things, enough good things, or we said the right words in the right way, but because we have a good father who wants to give good gifts to his children and who wants relationship with us. So today we move on to the next little part of the Lord's Prayer. At the beginning of this portion of Scripture in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about the ways that we shouldn't pray. We shouldn't do it for show. 
not with a lot of big words, because prayer is not a performance. The disciples' reaction is, well, Jesus, if we're not supposed to pray that way, then please tell us how. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 says, this then, this is what Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So today we zero in on that short phrase, hallowed be thy name. I confess to having a little bit of a fascination with the British royal family. Does anybody else have that? You're just always curious about what they're up to. I don't think monarchy is a good form of government, even the kind that are just mostly ceremonial. But you have to admit, there's something kind of fascinating about princesses and kings and queens and castles and all of that regalia. It's, it's just kind of fun to follow. And I have a further confession. I watched The Crown on Netflix. <laughs> But the episode that came to mind as I prepared for today is the one where Princess Diana had been dating Prince Charles for a while and it was time for her to meet the royal family. And you don't go to the royal family just in some casual manner. You don't just waltz in and say, hey there, queen, how you doing? Right? She had to take a whole class, a very serious class on the protocol of approaching the royal family, who to bow to, who to curtsy to, who you could be a little bit more familiar with and who you had to wait for them to invite you kind of thing. <clears throat> Even the royal family themselves had a kind of protocol, especially with the queen, they couldn't just walk into her office, <coughs> excuse me, and say, hey, mummy or granny or whatever they called her, that you had to be invited or request an audience. Well, we have a king, a real king. He's the king of the entire universe. He is completely holy. That's what that word hallowed means. And yet, he invites us to come to him any and all the time as a loving and good father. Hebrews 4.16 in the New Living Translation says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We don't have to wait for a special invitation from this holy king, but we do need the reminder that he is holy. So many of our Bible translations and the way that we often recite the Lord's Prayer uses that word hallowed, that phrase hallowed be thy name. Others, like the New Living Translation, though, say, may your name be kept holy. Hallowed is this archaic word that we don't see much in speech or in writing. Um, about the only time you maybe don't even really think about it, but you use the word hallowed is on the 31st day of October, right? Halloween, right? <laughs> Do you know that that used to be a religious holiday? It's the evening of All Saints Day where you venerate people that in the faith that have gone before. Some churches still practice that. So Halloween has taken on a completely different um, meaning than it used to mean, what that originally meant. But another way that we use the word hallow is you might think of the hallowed halls of Harvard or Congress, right? According to dictionary.com, hallowed, refers to something that is greatly respected, revered, holy, 
or sacred, often because of a long history or some religious significance. It implies that an object, place, or idea is regarded with a deep sense of honor and veneration. Hmm. Yes, that's a great place. A much more familiar word, then, to substitute for hallowed is the word holy. Now, if you've been around churchy things too long, you've probably heard that to be holy means to be set apart, to be different, if you will. The word holiness, though, can come with its own set of baggage, can't it? There might have been someone that you knew from your past who was so heavenly-minded they were no earthly good. You've heard that phrase. Or their behavior was such that you might consider them, as my mom used to say, meaner than snakes. <laughs> you might have been brought up to believe that holiness meant wearing a certain kind of clothing or hairstyle or going or not going to certain places. To be set apart then might not have just meant to be different in a good way, but to be maybe a little odd or weird. You might think of people who considered themselves holy, those that could quote scripture all day long, but they were unloving and joyless. None of those descriptions fit our holy God. God's holiness is the source from which all of his other attributes flow. His goodness, his love, his kindness, his mercy, his justice. So why then is holiness the crucial definition of God's character? Right here at the beginning of Jesus' instruction about prayer is that reminder that God is holy. Now things can be set apart as holy. Remember in the Moses story, God said, take off your shoes because the ground you are standing on is holy. Buildings can be holy spaces. Saints are sometimes referred to as holy people. And we even call our Bible the Holy Bible, right? But as, and as followers of Christ, we are called to be holy. But the holiness that we have and live out is not of our own making, but it's imputed to us through Christ. No other being is defined as holy at their very core and essence. Only God is completely holy. He is morally pure, unique, righteous, at his very essence. He can't be anything else. In her book, Holier Than Thou, Jackie Hill Perry says this, holiness is an aspect of God, or it's not an aspect of God, excuse me. <laughs> holiness is who he is through and through. His attributes are never at odds with one another, nor do they switch places depending on God's mood. They are him. In Isaiah's vision, in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has an encounter with this holy God. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The word holy in this passage is repeated three times. There are lots of theological theories about the number three in the Bible. Some theologians claim it's the number of completeness, as in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Others say that it's for emphasis so that we'll pay attention. Whatever the reason the word holy is repeated, I find it interesting that the angels don't say, love, 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 or mercy, 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 or good, good, good. Those are all attributes of God, and they would be true. But holy is more than an attribute. It's who God is, and it's where all of his other attributes flow. Isaiah's reaction, and I imagine it would be ours too, is terror, right? He's, uh, in a good way, afraid. And he repents. He sees God as he really is. And in comparison, he sees himself as he really is. And he reacts accordingly. The other time we see the word holy repeated three times is in the book of Revelation, chapter 4. The apostle John also has a vision of the throne room. And he says, Each of the four living creatures had six wings, and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So why is it important for us to stop and recognize and remind ourselves of God's holiness. Why at the beginning of Jesus' prayer does he emphasize the holiness of God? I think it's because like Isaiah and John, we need a vision of God's holiness to see him as he is holy and to see ourselves as we are not holy. So we begin our prayer, our time of prayer, with a reminder of who God is, perfect, righteous, good, whole. We come to prayer from our world that is full of ourselves and full of everything that is the opposite of who God is. Jesus calls him Father. That's an intimate, personal relationship. But then he says, remember, his name is hallowed or holy. Pastor Anley Stanley says it this way, God is both intimate and infinite. If we skip this part, this recentering or reorienting ourselves to who God is and who we are, then I think the rest of the prayer becomes more like a lucky rabbit's foot or a good luck charm or maybe saying break a leg to somebody before they go into some theatrical performance. If we skip this recentering, we take the power and authority out of prayer. Some theologians, theologians even believe that this reminder that God is holy and that God's name is to be kept holy is a reflection back to the third commandment. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. 
Now, I grew up thinking, and I still kind of hold to this, that taking the Lord's name in vain meant using God or Jesus in a, uh, like as an explicative or a cuss word, right? Maybe you did too. I, I still don't, I, I still get really offended, uncomfortable when people use God's name that way. But I've come to think that maybe a better understanding of that commandment is to not take God's name in vain by sullying or damaging God's reputation by what we do or say. The late pastor and author Tim Keller says this, what we would say in the modern idiom is something like this, may you be honored, revered, and respected because of who you are. May your reputation, name, person, and character be untarnished, uncontaminated, unsullied. May nothing be done to deface or defame your record. Think about that for a minute. How many other ways besides using God's name as a swear word could we take his name in vain? His holy name. Well, it shouldn't surprise you by now that as I prayed and prepared for today, a song came to mind. <laughs> the lyrics of the chorus of this song, though, are so appropriate for today. It says, God forbid that I find you so familiar that I think of you as less than who you are. God forbid that I should speak of you at all without a humble reverence in my heart. In our modern way of understanding and the emphasis of Jesus as our personal savior, our friend, our brother, which is all true, we can unintentionally minimize his greatness and holiness. We can become so casual in our approach to God that we forget that he is also holy. Quoting Jackie Hill Perry again, as incomparable as God is, it seems to me that one problem with us humans is that we become so used to the idea of God that we treat him as commonplace. He goes on to say, the Lord's Prayer begins in such a way that if one decided to let it sit on the mind for a bit, one might choose not to say anything at all. So why does this matter then? What does it look like for us in our everyday, ordinary lives? I think reminding ourselves that God is not only a father, but holy, can give us that boldness, that confidence that the writer of Hebrews talks about. We have a God who's so completely holy, so morally perfect, so righteous and just, and yet one who laid aside his rights as God and humbly took on human flesh to die a criminal's death on a cross so that we could be made right with a holy God. God is good because he's holy. He is love because his love is not like our love, but a holy love. He is just because only in his holiness can he see and know the whole truth of any and all situations. And he is the rescuer, the redeemer, 
the Holy One who paid the penalty for our sin. And because of that, we can come to him confidently into God's very presence and we can trust him with our whole hearts and lives. So I wonder what would happen if we took Jesus' instruction in how to pray really seriously. It's easy for us because we've heard it so many times, haven't we? And we've said it so many times for us to just take it for granted. I wonder if we began our prayers with that awareness that we're not just talking to the air or making some transaction, as Pastor Lance said last week, but approaching a loving father who wants to give good gifts to his children and also a father who's not just the fun dad, right, who just gives us everything we want, but a holy one, completely other, pure, transcendent, omnipotent, omniscient, loving, good father. I wonder if we took the time before we launched into our prayer lists or our mindless, obligatory prayers, if we took that time to really remind ourselves who God is, I wonder if it would make us more confident in our praying more aligned with the will of God, more trusting, less likely to think of prayer as just an afterthought or what we do as a last resort. Or think of God, like I've said before, as some vending machine. Or maybe as John Mark Comer says, we just worry in God's general direction. What if we took him at his word and we begin to believe that he really does hear and answer our prayers. So as we wrap up today, I'd like to finish by saying the Lord's Prayer together from Matthew chapter 6, much like we did last week, only this time we're going to do it just a line or a phrase at a time. We're going to pause or take a sila, think about it moment, to let these familiar words wash over us fresh. So will you join me? Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. I want to challenge you in the next week to take the Lord's Prayer apart a little bit like that in your prayer time.
to stop and reflect, maybe add your own thoughts as you say each line. Our Father in heaven, Lord, thank you that you're a good Father. Hallowed be your name. Lord, I revere your name above every other name. Give yourselves a fresh look at the Lord's Prayer, will you, this week? Amen.